0: And it's not about the experience that we had when we came to faith. It's about the step of faith that we took to get to Jesus. But that step is only the first step of many steps that develops into a walk that we almost have. As Paul said, that I want you to abound more and more in verse 1 of chapter 4 of what you received from us, how you ought to walk to please God. Each step in that walk is a step of faith. But it speaks about that walking relationship that we can have with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our life.
1: from God's word in
0: your life can get of pain you do is let First Thessalonians 4 this is Paul encouraging the church to abound in Jesus to abound more and more it's something that a phrase that he repeated three times in a short portion of scripture. Paul really began to teach the church in Thessalonica now. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of best are really a time of remembrance of Paul giving thanks to God for the church founded there. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God. And so he was remembering their work, their ministry there among the church there in Thessalonica, how it was founded and how they conducted themselves in chapter 2, their conduct toward those who were believing as they worked and provided with their own hands. They had no, as he would say in verse 5, no cloak for covetousness. We weren't after your money. Man, we just want to present to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of salvation that we have found, what we have found we want to share with you. And in chapter 3, we learn that Timothy had been sent back to them that Paul had tried a couple of times at least to get back there. He left because of persecution. He wanted to get back there. It wasn't working out. He sent Timothy and Timothy had returned and said, they're doing good. They're doing well. But I also believe that Timothy told Paul there are some things that are going on there in Thessalonica, some things that I think you need to address. And one of those areas that we talked about last week was that of sexual immorality. I'd mentioned, and it wasn't nothing, but I believe the inspiration of the Lord just showing it to me as I was teaching last week. In, in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see the Lord Jesus and God being mentioned. The Lord Jesus, God the Father being mentioned. In verse 8 of chapter 4, we see the God being mentioned in the Holy Spirit. And he had surrounded, I had said with parentheses, he'd kind of surrounded this area of teaching against sexual immorality with the triunity of the Godhead. Also, beyond that, another set of parentheses surrounds this area of teaching, and it's in that area of abounding more and more. In verse 12, we read, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another, and to all, just as we do to you. And then in verse 9 of chapter 4, we read, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And he further has surrounded this area of teaching with love, we realize that the greatest form of love that we know comes to us through the life and the example of Jesus Christ. The Word tells us, and we know this verse from John three sixteen, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's God's love toward man. This word in the Greek is agape. God so agaped the world. But it's not just that Father God loved us. It is also the Lord Jesus who, willing to be obedient to his Father, came and offered his life as a sacrifice for our sin. It's the Lord Jesus who displayed that love to us when he spread his arms on that cross and offered his life there. And later on, we'll read a verse of scripture that tells us that the love of God has been spread abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and God, the Holy Spirit, also seen in this love, but really wanting us to abound in love. This area from verse 12 of chapter 3 to verse 12 of chapter 4, three times Paul has this similar phrase of, in verse 12, increase and abound in love. In verse 1 of chapter 4, that you should abound more and more, just as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. In verse 10, that you increase and abound more and more. He's wanting them to take their Christian life, their walk, to the next level. He's wanting them to, come on guys, there's there's another step that you need to take. You realize we each come into faith this very same way. We know through the word of God, that I can't live off of my parents' faith. Both of my parents are believers in Jesus Christ. I almost wanted to say we're believers because they're not walking on this earth any longer, but they more so now in the presence of the Lord, now they see with their eyes what they once hoped to see. Their faith has been confirmed, and there is that love, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, Paul tells us in First Corinthians 13. Personally, I couldn't live off my parents' faith. I was raised in a denominational church, but just because I was a member of that church doesn't bring me into that place of salvation. So my past history, my association of my family with my parents as being believers, it doesn't accredit me to salvation. My association with the church that I was raised in, although I was saved in that church. It wasn't because I was a member of that church that I found my salvation. We each come into salvation the very same way. It's a step of faith that we take toward God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I realize that you came to give your life upon the cross. And I want to now give my life over to you and ask you to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me and to wash me, just as your word says that I may be made whole and clean. We each come in that very same way. It's, and it's not about the experience that we had when we came to faith. It's about the step of faith that we took to get to Jesus. But that step is only the first step of many steps that develops into a walk that we almost have. As Paul said, that I want you to abound more and more in verse 1 of chapter 4, of what you received from us, how you ought to walk to please God. Each step in that walk is a step of faith. But it speaks about that walking relationship that we can have with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our life. He wants us to abound more and more, and it's this area of love that he sandwiched this very difficult teaching there of sexual immorality. He sandwiched it in love. Sexual immorality, at best, can be called a distorted form of love. In reality, it's lust, not love, that motivates that type of lifestyle. And I confessed before you last week that Lily and I, as teenagers, found ourselves pregnant, and we were married as a result of that pregnancy, and so we are guilty of that very same sin. But we also have found forgiveness from the Lord But he sandwiched this whole area of teaching and love in John 13, 34. And this area of John from 13, John chapter 13 to John chapter 17 is pretty much known as the Lord's upper room discourse. It's when the Lord, that final night before his crucifixion, he had much to teach his disciples and really much to teach us. He even prayed for us and said those who would believe through the testimony of the disciples. He even prayed for us that night. But in John 13, 34, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are to be known for our love for each other. I ask the question, what is the church known for today in the United States? Well, a couple of weeks ago and even into this week, We had a pastor in Texas of a congregation of some 14,000 people who fell in this area of sexual immorality with the exposing of a three-year relationship with a male prostitute in homosexuality. Now, he said over and over again that he didn't even know this man, that he didn't engage in this type of sexual relations. His board removed him from the church for this area of sexual immorality. Something was going on there. All I know is that it was also about drugs, and he even confessed. I saw him on TV, confessed to a reporter that I bought methamphetamine, but I never used it. If you're buying it, obviously you've been thinking about using it, and you're only one step away from that. And so there was something wrong with this story. But that's the view of church, the view of the church in the world that, oh, look at those guys, look at that pastor. And it puts a black mark upon the church of Jesus Christ. The church is here in this nation. How's the world view us? Do they view us in this love that the Lord desired, that we will be known by our love for one another? Watching the TV show the other night with my wife and, it was one of those investigated shows, and and it really came out of the headlines of something that happened earlier this year. Perhaps it was fall of last year, but I believe it was earlier this year where a uh, pastor's wife, she killed her husband, ran out of state, and they just took off off that story, which was a real story, and picked up on that and tried to discover who the real killer was in this. And And one of the lawyers In the story, her daddy was a preacher. At one point, she referred to all the attention that the women gave toward her dad. And the other lady said, what did your mom do about that? And she said, well, she divorced that. What was happening and which happens within our fellowships in the churches today and and the reason of sexual immorality and all these failings and fallings that we have is that we're not abstaining from sexual immorality we're not guarding ourselves in such a way that we protect ourselves in these in these areas and i from this pulpit often talked about some of the things that lily and i do and we've been married for 28 years now you know if if you're a woman in our fellowship and would call me for a ride i would call another lady in the fellowship to go pick you up whether you're a young child a teenager well, Mrs. Colombo, I probably wouldn't have a problem in this area with you. I think we would be safe. You know what I mean? I, I guard myself and make sure that I, I won't be caught in a compromising situation that could bring even talk toward the ministry. We're to increase and abound in love toward one another. It's these steps of faith that we take in our faith toward God. It's a walking relationship with the Lord. And he wants us to abound more and more. He says to us in verse 12 that we increase and abound. And we looked at these words last week and I further looked into them a little deeper and it would seem that this word for increase in the Greek could be translated to become rich. I want you to become rich in love. Hey, this is what I desire for you, that you become rich in love. The word for abound means to exceed, to overflow. We talked about that last week. It it means great abundance. And so when we combine the two together, the Lord desires us to become rich in love, to overflow in the great abundance of his love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. This is what Paul's desire for the church in Thessalonica was, that they would become rich in love and into the overflow of his great love toward each other. Toward all, he said, meaning believers and unbelievers, those who believe and those who don't, that we have this great abounding love. In the Greek, we learn that this word for love is agape. It was rarely for many years discovered outside of the Koine Greek that the Bible was written in, in the New Testament, that is. uh, The Old Testament, mostly in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Koine Greek. It was really the, the common language of the day, When the Holy Spirit inspired the men, the apostles, to to scribe the word of God that we have today, it was written in man's common language. Not the classical Greek, but this Koine Greek. And the word agape is rarely found outside of Scripture. And because of that, the best description that we can have of it seems to be from the word of God. The word agape describes the love of God toward his son. It describes Jesus's love toward his father. It describes the father's love toward you and toward me and Jesus's love for us. It also describes the love that we can have toward each other and toward the Godhead. Paul is painting this picture to the church in Thessalonica, and I believe to us, of God's rich agape love flowing up from within and overflowing into the lives of people around us both to believers and to unbelievers. This love that we we seek is for the welfare of all, that no ill will will be toward anyone. And as I said in 1 Corinthians 13, it's probably the most, not the most famous, but if you're in a wedding, it is. You know, there's several weddings that I've done that this portion of scripture is read from 1 Corinthians 13, 4, because it's on love. And it's that word agape that's found there. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. The interesting thing about that portion of scripture, it was pointed out to me the first time I heard this by Pastor Chuck of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, that you can easily replace the word love there for Jesus, and it works beautifully. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself, is not puffed up. He does not behave rudely. He does not seek his own. He is not provoked He thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. Jesus never fails. Now slip your name in there. Mine, John, suffers long. Suffers a little while maybe, but not not long. John is sometimes kind, but not always kind. Sometimes I realize that, you know, I cut people off. And that was a little rude, I think, to myself and need to apologize. John does not envy. Hmm. (laughs) Well, how would you do if you put your name in there? Does not parade himself around, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. Rejoice in iniquity when somebody, you know, they, well, they deserved it. That's rejoicing in iniquity, isn't it? Well, they had it coming to them. Do we bear all things, believe all things, hope in all things, endure all things? John never fails. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't work, does it? But Jesus does. This agape love does. And the Lord desires to have this love well up in our hearts. Paul is really wanting us to experience this increase in an abounding in the rich overflowing of God's love in our hearts. And as I said, I, I have no experience to describe that would even equate to this. The Lord touches each of us in a very different and special way. It's unique to each of us and it's precious to the Lord. My testimony is precious to the Lord and so is yours as a believer. He wants this overflowing love, of this great abundance of agape love, not only to overflow us, but into the lives of those around us, both who believe and unbelieve. Jesus said, you'll be known by your love toward each other. This is the love that the Lord desires the world to see. What they're seeing in the church today, sadly, is a very distorted form of this love. But truly, this is the love, this agape love. In verse 13, he says, So that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. His desire is to have our hearts established blameless and in holiness. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can do this for each one of us. If you stand before the Lord without Jesus, you are without hope. Only Jesus can take and and purify and cleanse and take away the guilt of sin. The word said, I can cast it from as far as the east is from the west. God says, I choose to remember it no more. This is his great love that he has toward us to see us as his children. We have this hope. And so he closed out chapter three with just as he closed out chapter two and chapter one with the return of Jesus Christ. Looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And we'll deal more with that in a couple of weeks as we continue on. In our teaching in chapter 4 beginning in verse 13 that talks about the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church. But here with this love, we skip down now to verse 9 of chapter 4. It says concerning brotherly love. Now this word in the Greek is literally Philadelphia. You guys know this word. It's a, a city in our country. It means the city of brotherly love. I wonder if that's true today, but that's their name. And in the Greek, it's Philadelphia, it's the same. It's having that brotherly love toward one another. It's, it's the love that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ toward each other. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul says, I don't even need to write to you guys about this. He does a little bit though, doesn't he? But he also reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us Himself about this type of love in that portion of scripture from John 13 to John 17, that upper room discourse that we know it as. In John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that we should love. In John 14, 26, the Lord said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And so God, the Holy Spirit now, as believers in our life, he, he teaches us all things and love is part of that teaching. We'll see that here in Romans 5, 5. It says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us or who was given to us. The love of God being poured out into our hearts. That overflowing, poured in to overflow out toward all who are around us. When Peter writes about this love, this love of God, not phileo, not the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love, but agape. Peter says in 1 Peter 4:8, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. Now, I believe Peter wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Love covers a multitude of sin. But I also believe Peter wrote this out of experience. Remember back in Luke chapter 22 that the Lord said to Peter, and we just talked about this a few weeks ago, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Hey, Peter, Satan's been asking for you. He wants to shake you up a bit. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And Peter said, Lord, I'm willing to go to both prison and to death for you. And the Lord said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times this night before the cock crows three times. You're going to deny me these three times this night. And, and we know the story of Peter's denial and how he did deny the Lord that night and how he went away weeping, remorsing bitterly. How great that covering is when love covers a multitude of sin. It qualifies for every single sin except for the rejection of Jesus Christ and who he is. Love covers a multitude. The love of Jesus Christ, that is, covers every single sin that could possibly be committed except for that of the rejection of who Jesus is. You deny Christ, His love can't cover you. You receive Christ, his love will cover you. It still works to this day. Father, I pray that we could abound more and more in your grace and in your love. I know that we haven't always lived up to this, but I pray, Lord, that we would aspire to this. Work in our hearts as you desire this day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.